So looking at Luke chapter 2 again this morning, uh, verses 15 through 20, you know, it's interesting to me um, when we consider the Song of the Shepherds, uh, they're, they're one of the most interesting and striking groups, I think, in the Christmas story. I wonder if you agree with me. Um, apart from the baby, of course, and who's the center of the Christmas story, uh, you know, you've got, uh, in fact, we've got a little nativity scene down here. You've got uh, Joseph on one side and Mary on the other. Uh, surely in most nativity sets, I think you find that the shepherds are one of the more popular characters in the story. Uh, they're always featured prominently in any kind of Christmas setting. Well, I'm, 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 as I consider the story again, this very familiar story of the shepherds that we're going to look at here this morning, I'm really glad that God didn't choose to announce the birth of Jesus to anybody else. Um, he didn't choose to announce the birth to the Roman Caesar, Augustus, who was mentioned up there in verse 1 of chapter 2. Uh, kind of the background of the story. I doubt Caesar Augustus ever heard of Jesus um, or the birth of Jesus for sure. Despite all the pomp and magnificence of his palace in Rome, it wasn't to him that God announced the coming of Jesus. You notice in verse 2, it wasn't Quirinius either. The, he's mentioned there the governor or procurator of Syria at that time. It wasn't mentioned or announced to Herod the Great, uh, pompous fool that he was. Now, of course, we know he came to hear about the birth later, didn't he? And did his best to destroy Jesus. But the birth of the Savior wasn't announced to him. It wasn't announced to the high priest, or any of the priests for that matter, at the temple in Jerusalem. And it wasn't announced to the mayor of Bethlehem, if they had any such position back then. It wasn't even announced to those mysterious magi. They come later, of course, following a star. But it wasn't to them the announcement was made. God chose to announce this most amazing news that the world has ever heard to simple shepherds. Common, ordinary, blue-collar, working people like most of us. In fact, in Jewish society, the shepherds were even lower in society than most of us would be. They, in some places, they were considered outcasts, real down low on the totem pole. But isn't that great? The story, the announcement of the birth of Jesus wasn't made to any bigwig, you know, not to any celebrity. It was to ordinary people. They're just going about their everyday business. They're making sure the sheep had adequate pasture that night outside Bethlehem. They had to be on alert because the wolves were around. They were the chief enemy of the sheep. You know, the shepherds, as they began their watch that night, had no expectation whatsoever that anything out of the ordinary was going to happen that night. They certainly weren't expecting anything. In fact, they were to totally taken by surprise that when the vision of the angels, the glory of the Lord surrounded them, they were, according to verse 9, they were filled with great fear, not great joy, at least not yet. So here's the question I want to try and answer here this morning. What did the shepherds do after the angels had gone back 
to heaven. After this amazing display of the glory of God, what do the shepherds do? After that first Christmas carol, we might say, had been sung, after the the darkness and the silence descended on the fields outside Bethlehem once again, after everything got back to normal, what did they do? What happened? What should we do? There's the question. So for the answer, let's start in verse 15 of chapter 2. This is the first thing we're told. The shepherds went to Bethlehem to see it for themselves. So if you're taking notes this morning, the first point is seeing Jesus. Seeing Jesus. Verses 15 and 16. Look at verse uh, 15 again. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. You know, yesterday, um, my wife and I went over and saw the uh, Nutcracker. Uh, Some of you may see it as well during the holiday seasons, the traditional Christmas play. It's got lots of songs and dancing and the ballet and the music. It's all beautiful, the lights and costumes. And and, uh, at the end of that story, a very familiar story, it's been passed down through the ages, as the curtain went down, And the lights came back up in the theater. Everybody started getting up and going on their way. Do you know what we did? We went home. We didn't go search for the house where this had all taken place. We didn't go looking for a magical nutcracker and fighting the giant mouse king. We didn't go try to enter into that story. But the shepherds did, didn't they? They weren't content with just this hearsay. They wanted to go and find out for themselves. I love that. They wanted to find out if it was true, what it meant. So verse 16, they hurry off and they find exactly what they've been told they would find. Look at verse 16. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. Just what they had been told they would find. Brothers and sisters, I wonder if we could learn that the right response to the Christmas story is, is neither credulity or incredulity. Neither disbelief nor belief without seeing. Neither of these extremes I don't think is right. The right response to the Christmas story is a, is a critical and open-minded and unprejudiced investigation as to whether these things are true. The Bible calls us to be Bereans, right? So they hurry off. The shepherds hurry off to find out. I like that. I wish there were more among us in society that had that let's go and see mentality. You don't find a lot of people like that today. If you go out into this world and start talking about the Christmas story, the claims of Jesus Christ, the fact that he come to save us from their sins, a lot of people have made up their minds without any adequate evidence on which to base their conclusions they've just taken a position and most people take the wrong one but i wish there were more more people who had a willingness to move away from agnosticism and atheism into investigation into at least checking out the claims of christ 
I wish there was more determination not to depend on hearsay, to rely on secondhand rumors, but to find out for ourselves. In our own world, we use the scientific method, right? We, we have this empirical method. We want to go and we want to figure things out. And so, of course, we can't go to Bethlehem as the shepherds went, right? I mean, we could. Uh, Pastor Trey went to Bethlehem not long ago, right? Um, so you can go there, but it, it's not going to help us very much with this investigation. I, I mean, I think we would find that there are fields outside Bethlehem still today, um, it's got the right atmosphere, you know. Maybe you could go there at nighttime and just kind of, you know, see if you can get something. But I think we would find that the person that we are seeking there, the baby in the manger, isn't there anymore. So where should we look for him? Where, where should we find Jesus as good investigators in the 21st century of the song of the angels to the shepherds? Well, if we really want to find Jesus, he isn't in a cradle tonight. He's not in a manger, is he? So where is he? How do people do this investigation today? Martin Luther, the great German reformer back at the beginning of the 16th century, he has some advice for us. Do you know what he called Scripture? He said, Scripture is the cradle of the Christ. Isn't that a beautiful phrase? The Bible is a kind of manger in which the baby Jesus is lying. If you want to find Jesus, you have to read the Bible. Because the overriding purpose of the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, is to point people to Jesus Christ. So if we really want to find Jesus, people have got to read that dusty old book on their shelf. You know? They've got to get it down from their shelves. They've got to open it and read it. And and friends, how many Christians struggle with reading the Bible regularly, much less unbelievers, because we haven't looked at that book for months, maybe years. I'm not talking about church on Sunday, right? We all open our books on Sunday. I'm talking about everyday Bible intake. Many Christians don't have that kind of a discipline to our shame. That's one of the reasons, by the way, we do these community Bible readings each month, uh, which will continue in 2023. They, they get us opening and reading the Bible outside Sundays, even if it's just once a month. And that's a good thing. Always a good thing. By the way, we have one coming up on Wednesday, the 28th, the last one of the year, at 7 p.m. Wouldn't it be great to have 50 people show up to read the Bible together in a church like ours? Or 100? Or 500? Wouldn't it be amazing for Christians to invite their neighbors or their co-workers or their unsaved relatives to just come simply read the Bible with them? That's the idea. Because in the Bible, they and we find Jesus. You know, many people who have rejected Christianity or the claims of the Bible have never read it for themselves to begin with. They've never investigated the credentials of Christianity. They've never read the foundational documents, the Gospels or the Epistles. And that makes their rejection, in my view, not very honest. And there are many people who are guilty of that dishonesty. 
Maybe through your example, brothers and sisters, through your invitation, somebody will be challenged to get that book down off the shelf and read, especially the Gospels, the stories of Jesus. There's plenty of evidence in the Gospels on which you can make a rational conviction about the truth of Jesus Christ and the amazing claims that Jesus made. Think about it for a second. A simple man from a carpenter shop in Nazareth on the outskirts of the Roman Empire that nobody had ever heard of said he had the authority to forgive sins. And Jesus also claimed that on Judgment Day, he would come back and sit on the throne of his glory and all the nations will be gathered before him and he would separate them from one another like a shepherd separates sheep from goats, calling some to heaven and sending others to eternal punishment in hell. Now, friends, if I got up and started making those claims for myself, I would have the attention of the media and probably the police and maybe a psychiatrist. But this is what Jesus said about himself. Just by reading the Scripture, people can understand the beauty of his moral character. He never sinned. His was a life full of love and humility and full of gentleness that has been the envy and the admiration of the whole world. There's plenty, by the way, uh, there's plenty circumstantial, historical evidence of the literal bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. But people don't investigate these things. They make up their own minds before they've investigated the evidence. Jesus himself said on the Sermon on the Mount, do you remember? Seek and you will find. And everyone who seeks, finds. I'm persuaded there are people that you and I know who have never found Jesus Christ because they've never sought him. They've never looked for him. No wonder they haven't found him. It's those who seek who find. And if we seek him diligently with all our heart, the Bible says, he promises we will find him. Millions have found that to be true, right? Many sitting in this room. So the first response of the shepherds was to find out. They heard the message. Now they went to see. And then second, when they found him, they spread the word. So if you're taking notes, point number two, seeing Jesus leads to witness. Verse 17 through 19. Look at verse 17 again. When they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. What was the saying that had been told them concerning this child? We have to look back, right, to the, the angel message. Look back to verse, um, verse 10. The angel said to them, fear not. Something they needed to hear because they were very afraid. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. A Savior 
Who is Christ the Lord? You know, Caesar Augustus, one of the titles that he claimed for himself in the Roman Empire was Savior of the World. Caesar Augustus called himself the Savior of the World. The angel's message was, go to Bethlehem and you'll find there a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger who is the Savior of the world. That's what they heard. And that's what they wanted to spread. They couldn't keep this good news to themselves. They wanted other people to know. They wanted their family, their friends, their neighbors, the whole world. I think we, I think we need to notice here how natural their witness was. They, they could not keep this news to themselves. The Apostle Peter said something similarly. Do you remember when the, the Sanhedrin, that Jewish council in, in Acts chapter 4, they, they got Peter and, and they told him to, to stop teaching in, in the name of Jesus. Knock it off. And do you remember what Peter said back to them? I know you remember this. In, in Acts chapter 4 and verse 20, Peter says, We cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. We can't not speak. Brothers and sisters, it isn't a question of strategically trying to turn the conversation in a religious direction in a subtle way. You know how some of us, were, you know, we're, we're in a conversation with someone who doesn't know Christ and we're trying to think, all right, how, how do I get, you know, I know I should tell this person about Jesus and how can I, you know, how can I kind of weasel him in there, you know? How can I, how can I get this turned around if, if we even have the courage to do that to begin with? But that's not... That's not what's happening with the shepherds. They're, they're bubbling up inside so much with what they found in Jesus Christ. And, and the same should be true for us. We should be bubbling up inside so much with the joy, the great joy that we have found in knowing Jesus Christ that out of the overflow of our heart, we have to speak to others. We're compelled to speak with others. We can't not speak. Notice something else about their witness too. It received different reactions. You know, some people we read in verse 18 were amazed. Um, Luke puts it this way, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. The word wondered there is, can also be translated amazed. It's, it's one of Luke's most favorite words. He uses it like 13 times in his, go- in his gospel. So believe it or not, there are times today where when we share the gospel to someone else, people are amazed. That does happen. They, they say things like, why have I never heard this good news before? There are people like that. Not everybody was amazed like that. Verse 19 describes a different reaction from Mary. Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. She's taking it all in. She's thinking deeply. That's the word pondering. She's thinking deeply about all that had happened so far. 
Now, I don't see any reason. Some people think, you know, well, Mary's not quite a believer yet. She's still assessing everything. I, I don't know that I would say that. I don't see any reason to believe that Mary didn't understand that her baby was the Messiah. I think it's pretty clear from the message that the angel gave to her, as well as what we call the Magnificat, that the song of Mary back in chapter 1, I think it's pretty clear she knew what's going on here. She knew who her baby was. But she's probably a bit overwhelmed, don't you think, <laughs> at the moment? I mean, put yourself in her sandals, like we say. Um, you know, she didn't see the display over the Bethlehem fields like the shepherds did. She hadn't heard the angels just unite in thousands of voices, glory to God in the highest. She, she wasn't a witness of that. She is stuck in a stable at night with animals after having just gone through labor and delivery. Okay, that's where Mary's at. So to see the excitement and the faith of these shepherds who arrive and hearing their witness as to what occurred out in the fields must have been a lot to take in. <laughs> and she's doing exactly that. She's thinking over everything that's happened. The truth is, people respond differently to an encounter with Jesus Christ. Remember how the Scripture told us about Paul when he talked to the men on Mars Hill? Remember their reactions in Acts 17, 32-34? Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. You'll get some people to mock, mock you when you tell them about the Lord. Others said, we will hear you again about this. They want to know more. So Paul went out from their midst. But verse 34 says, Some men joined him and believed. For the, for the shepherds, seeing Jesus in the manger, the fulfillment of what the angels had told them, seeing Jesus led them to witness. You know, if all Christian people did that, the world would long ago have been evangelized. Not that everyone would have come to know Jesus, but that everyone would have heard the message. But just like so many Christians struggle to read the Bible regularly, there are many Christians who also seem to be so hesitant, so tongue-tied, when we ought to freely and habitually share with others this good news about the Savior. The question, you know, many of us should ask ourselves this morning as we see the witness of the shepherds is, why am I not bubbling over with the joy that I should have in knowing Jesus? Why am I not bubbling over in my life that I can't contain myself and I have to speak to the, the gospel to others? You know, lots of us bubble up over all kinds of stuff, don't we? I mean, we bubble up over the cult. Well, no, not the cult. We, we, bubble up over, we bubble up over sports teams. We bubble up over our children and grandchildren and their achievements and accomplishments. We bubble up over a great meal or, or over the Christmas season and all the joy and beauty that it holds. But friends, if there's something that we should be bubbling over about, it's the joy that we have in knowing Jesus. 
It should come out so freely, so readily. And if it's not, we need to ask ourselves, why? And, and maybe that speaks to our need to buckle down and develop and nurture our own spiritual disciplines. Maybe we need to dedicate ourselves anew and afresh to getting into the Word of God regularly, daily, spending time in prayer throughout our day with the Lord, not just when it's formal and ritual. We want the Word of Christ, as Paul told the Colossians, to dwell in us richly, extravagantly, so that it bubbles out. You know, for the shepherds, seeing Jesus led them to witness, led them to make known the news. There's one more response I want you to see in our text this morning. That's number three, seeing Jesus leads to worship. Look at verse 20. They returned to the fields. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. In other words, they worshipped as well as witnessed. Worship and witness had entered their lives. And don't you love those words? They returned. They didn't spend the rest of their lives at the stable in Bethlehem. You know, there are, I, I know Pastor Trey can attest to this and others who have been to the Holy Land. Um, all these religious spots, in the, in, I mean, there are like shrines and churches and all kinds of stuff built over all these spots where these things were, have to occur. And people make pilgrimages, you know, and, and, you know, think that they're getting some kind of grace or something by being at these holy spots, you know. So the shepherds didn't stay at the stable the rest of their lives. They went back. They didn't loiter around the manger. They went back, back to their flocks, back to their wives, their families, their homes. But even though they went back to the same old job on the fields, the same old homes, they were different. They went back to those old jobs in a new spirit. They went back to their old homes in a new spirit. They had been changed by meeting Jesus. The spirit of wonder, amazement, the spirit of worship had entered their hearts. And they, they picked up what the angels had been doing, glorifying and praising God. And they take it on themselves and glorify and praise God now. You know, we too, when we come to know Jesus, we return to the same spouse, the same family, the same, same old house, the same old job. But not in the same old way. The discovery of Jesus changes our lives forever. It's a transforming experience. It adds a new dimension to this lifestyle on earth that we've known so far. I get back to the old context in a new way. A brand new way. And these shepherds returned Praising God. I'm going to ask the praise team to come back to the front here for our final song uh, in just a minute. Actually, final two songs. We're going to sing our song of the month and then a final song. But as they're coming, 
Just review with me for a moment. Do you understand a little more why I find these shepherds so interesting? I mean, first, they went to see for themselves, as every person must. Then they went to tell, to spread the word. And then they glorified and praised God. And what's the common denominator of these three things? It has to do with our eyes, I think. First, they said, we've heard something. Now let's go see it. And when they got there, they saw Jesus. And because of what they saw, they spread the word. They couldn't spread the word if they hadn't seen it for themselves and believed it with faith. And then they glorified and praised God for all that they had, what does the text say? All that they had seen and heard. Now, of course, you and I can't see Jesus in the same way today that the shepherds did. We can't see him with our physical and literal eyes. But you know, the Bible has a great deal to say about spiritual sight. Scripture has a great deal to say about the need to have our eyes opened, to see truths to which otherwise we would be blind. You know, this is the essence of being a Christian, having our eyes opened. I hope everybody here knows that being a Christian isn't just believing certain things, isn't just coming to church. You can come to church and not be a Christian. It isn't a question even of being baptized or even reading the Bible and praying and going through these kinds of religious services, although all of these things are wonderful and good. What is a Christian when you boil it down to its essential ingredients? It's knowing Christ. It's seeing Christ with spiritual eyes. It's discovering Him. It's coming to know Him in a personal way. Is that where you are today, friend? Do you know Jesus? Really know Him? Not know about Him. Not know the name. Not know the story. Do you know Him as a person, as a friend, as a Savior, as a brother? Have you had your eyes opened to see who He really is? The Savior of the world. The Savior of your world. So I come back to those words of the Lord Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Seek and you will find. That's what Jesus said. Why don't you put him to the test? He said, seek and you will find. We have to fulfill the condition to seek. He will fulfill the promise that we can find. The title of my message today is, Do You See What I See? <laughs> Do you? Do you see what the shepherds saw? Have you seen Jesus in the pages of Scripture in the Gospels? Have you seen His coming, His advent as good news gospel? 
of great joy. The angels glorified and praised God. The shepherds glorified and praised God. And now it's our turn. This Christmas season, if you've seen Jesus, I hope that that joy that is bubbling in your hearts bubbles over into witness naturally, regularly, courageously. And that knowing Jesus and seeing him with spiritual eyes prompts you to worship and praise God.